First Samuel chapter 16, please. First Samuel chapter 16. I'm entitling this uh, David's faithfulness. And I just heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say some things to me when I was praying about today. I'm not going to get it done today. I'm going to do part one and the next Sunday is going to be part two. Um, but uh, there's something about David that uh, I think we need to pay attention to um, because the Bible calls David uh, faithful and that he did things as God had them in his heart. And I believe that's, I don't even have it in my notes, but going on memory here, I believe that is in the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 13. Can you just have a quick look there for me? Acts chapter 13. I want you to open up your hearts and listen because uh, I'm not just saying a story. I'm not just reading you a story. I'm talking to you by utterance of the Holy Ghost. And he uses Old and New Testament. Yes. Uh, I think it's around 30 somewhere. Let me just have a look. Acts 13:22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Amen. Go down to verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Notice he had served his generation. He had served, Pastor Nancy said to the Lord a little while ago, she said, Lord, why do you want me to write these books? Because Dad Hagen did it all. We don't need much more. And he said, just because he served his generation doesn't mean you don't serve yours. I recently said to the Lord, he's been dealing with me about books for about five years and I've been resisting him. And, uh, and he recently said to me again, he said, I want you to do one on the blood. I want you to start in 23 and don't let 23 come to an end without most of that book being done, if not all of it being done. So I said, okay, Lord, we're coming into a new season of writing. And I said, but Pastor, Lord, all these great ministers, I don't need to do this. And he said the same thing to me. He said, just because Pastor Nancy is serving her generation doesn't mean you get a pass to not serve yours. Yeah. Everybody's got to serve their generation. But did you notice the key to serving is in verse 22 because it says that he, that he had this testimony. I found David, a man after our own heart, who will fulfill all my will. Or in other words, will do it as I want it done. Will do it according to my will. Let me ask you a question. If I ask Taylor, and he's a faithful man, but if I ask Taylor, Taylor, I want you to call these six people and I want you to tell them these three points. And he calls the six people and he tells four of them three points, but the other two of them he tells two points. Has he been faithful? Why? That's not legalism. That's called doing it as the person that asks you to do it has it in their heart. Not your heart. Well, they didn't really, I just felt in my heart, they didn't really need those other two points. Pastor Craig's not here. He's not hearing the conversation that I'm having. So he doesn't know that I don't really need to say that last point. No, no, it's not as he felt it in his heart. It's as I have it in my heart if I'm delegating that authority. Are you with me? So listen, you'll get advanced faster at work if you'll just do it as your boss has it in their heart. Instead of as you think that they should want to have it in their heart. Or as you have it in your heart. Or as you think it should be in their heart. No, if you just do what they want, as long as it's not immoral. Do you understand? I've had times at work where they've asked me to do immoral things in the pornography unit and different things at customs. I had to take a stand. They was willing to go right to the Supreme Court and I would have won. But they backed down because they could see that I was a bulldog and I'm going to tear them apart. And I would have. 
But you see, there's a time you have to take a stand. But in the majority of our jobs, we're not being asked to do immoral things or unethical things or illegal things. So you've got to stand by God's word. But as long as it's normal, just do what they want. They'll trust you if you do what they want. They'll call you faithful. Now you can claim the faithful man abounds in blessing. But if you're not faithful, how can you claim that? Are you with me? Faithful isn't just showing up to church. There's people that show up every week, but you're not faithful. What? Yeah. Because it says God has it in his heart. What did God have in his heart for the local church? He said in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I want there's, he even called it, the, the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists, the helps, the teachers. He lists helps along with the fivefold ministers. It is in his heart for you to serve. Yes. And not be lazy and to not be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you think you're better than somebody else. What's that called? Pretentious, proud, lazy, arrogant. No, no, it's in his heart for you to serve. Because you're not serving Lorraine or me or Peter or anybody else, whatever. You're serving Jesus and he takes it personal when you don't serve him. So people come to church, Lorraine, but if they're not in the ministry of helps, they're technically not faithful. Nobody likes this kind of preaching, but you're going to get it anyway. And then they say, but why won't the blessings work? Well, maybe because you don't serve. Because only when you have to do things as God has it in his heart, do you be counted as faithful, verse 22, and then you'll fulfill and serve your generation. You'll do what God asks you to do. And now the faithful man abounds in blessing. Now you can claim, Father, I'm doing it to the best of my knowledge as you do it in your heart. As you have it in your heart, I'm obeying. Tithing is the same thing. He has it in his heart. Amen? Amen. Having a prayer life at home is the same thing. It's in his heart that you have time and intimacy with him. You can't call yourself faithful if you come to church every service, but you never pray at home. So, see, this, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not just baking the cake with, you know, one ingredient or two ingredients. There is multiple ingredients. My son, Cole, is a very accomplished chef. Uh, people don't know that because he's so handsome, just like me, and so thin, uh, just like me, and... Um, so muscular, just like me. Great hair, just like me. Super personality, just like me. Man, you just really take after me, don't you, Coley? But he, but he's just, he just understands cooking. I don't know how he understands it, but he just got it. He just got it. He could be a chef if he wanted to. And so he, 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 made, he was making some chicken. I can smell it from the room. And the smell led me out into the promised land. I left the wilderness and I came into the kitchen. And of course, he's got it all portioned out by his scales and everything. I don't give, give a rip about the scale. I just steal what I steal. <laughs> I distract him and I take a piece. Dad, don't do that. No, no, no. You need to make extra, son, because we're, we're a giving church and a giving family. <laughs> Sow some seed. Praise God. Chicken seed is the best kind of seed. You'll get a harvest, man. A squawking harvest. You're going to get it. But, but, but I tried to make it one day and it didn't taste anything like his. Like, I mean, it was bad. Like Dr. Hatterbaugh says, bad, bad, real bad. It was bad. So I said to Coley, I said, how did you make it taste the way you did? So he opens up that spice rack and he starts pulling out five different kinds of spices. Then he shows me how to rub them in there. Then he shows me I'd, I'd put the temperature way too high. And he says, you're going to burn. It's going to get dry. 
You got to do it this way for this long with these spices. So I tried it. I said, now don't, don't do it for me because you're not always going to be around, but I want that chicken for many years to come. So I, I had to learn my, but now I know how to do it. Not, now I haven't even told Jenny how to do it. She says, that's one of the best chickens I've ever eaten. I said, that I know because I'm good at it. <laughs> and I haven't given her the recipe yet. But you see, he gave me the, he gave me the ingredients. It wasn't just chicken. It was multiple things to make the chicken the best chicken it could ever be. That chicken was living its best life. (laughs) It's not just coming to church. There are other things to make it the way God has it in his heart. To spice it up. To bring a fullness. To bring a sense of completion. It's not just you throw something in the pot and boil it. It's, there's an artistry to it. There's a creation to it. There is a something where you can make food like a work of art. And you can make living for God like a work of art. It's not just showing up. There's things he has in his heart he wants you to do. Unless you do them, you're not being faithful as you're faithful. You can't really, you'll, he'll bless you as far as he can. He loves you. But he's trying to bless you to full measure. He can only bless you to full measure if you're doing it as he has it in his heart. Are you with me? So let's have a long look at our faithfulness. Hallelujah. Are we doing it as God has it in his heart? Praise the Lord. A couple times I've gone recently and God has said to me, it's in my heart that you take the offering they sowed into you and sow it back into this person or sow it back into that person or give it to the pastor. And I said, Lord, that's, are you sure you know your own heart? Are you sure this is what is in your heart? Because it's not in my heart to do that. My heart is to take the money and run, buddy. Because I've got bills to pay. But if it's in your heart, see, I've got to learn to see, if I don't do that, I'm not being faithful financially. Do you understand? Uh, If you can't even get the tithe right, he's not even talking to you about the offerings. You've got to get the tithe down pat. They don't start talking to you about being generous in offerings. And that's when the real harvest comes. Because you don't get a harvest on your tithe. That's covenant. You get a harvest on your offerings. But he won't talk to you as much about the offerings if you don't put first things first, which is the tithe. So I want to learn to be faithful. David was a man, the Bible says, was faithful. I want to look at some of David's analogy. And I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart. Are you listening to me? I heard him in my heart say, now, son, this is not going to be as an exciting a sermon as some of them are used to. But you had your excitement during the the, the communion and during the offering. Because that anointing came, and so you got your little dose of the, okay. But, But he said, this may not be considered by some to be as exciting as other messages, but it is very needed and very valuable because there are principles that must be extracted and lived if I'm going to be able to bless them the way I want to bless them. Okay? And if they're going to fulfill and serve their generation. So have a look with me, please, in in the book of 1 Samuel. We're just, we're just, don't, don't just relax with me. (laughs) Don't be on edge. I'm watching the time. I know your chicken, not as good as mine, but your chicken is in the oven. And, and, I, and I know that. And we're going to get to it soon enough. But I want you just to see, please, in, uh, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, there's some principles, I think, that are worthy to be brought out. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Remember, Saul disobeyed. And, and seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. So God has a way of getting around certain problems. Okay. 
and called Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? Well, that shows me something. <laughs> the city officials had respect for the prophet's office. In other words, in other words you curse us, we're finished. Uh, what, 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 a, what a wonderful day that would be, Greg, if city officials called Brother Randy and said, Do you come in peace? Oh boy, for those days again. They had respect for the prophet's office. And he said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons. In other words, he invited them and called them to the sacrifice. Now, 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 now you're in the Jesse home. We're having dinner. Okay? Boys, uh, we've been told that the prophet is here of the whole country. And he wants us to come. That's a huge honor. It's like the prime minister inviting you. Okay? The prophet was respected as much as the king was. So it's like, it's like, you know, you've got the president that's asking you to come. It's a big deal. And, and so we're going to go. And I'm sure David heard that there's, a, there's this important thing happening. But, uh, but daddy says, now listen, uh, you, you just do, do your job. Just go do your job. Uh, the, the rest of us are going to go and have the banquet. What if you were David? How would you feel? What, what do you mean? Just because I'm the youngest. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not part of the family. I don't get invited to important things. Uh, listen, there's always times in your life, every single person is going to face this, where you're going to feel left out. You're going to feel like somebody overlooked you. And sometimes your family is going to overlook you. Sometimes your church family is going to overlook you. Sometimes, are you with me? Your pastor who represents Jesse is not always going to recognize everything every time in every person's life. And you're going to feel like, what the heck? I have been mistreated. I have been railroaded. How dare they? But I want you to notice David didn't leave the family because of perceived hurt. Maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't. But the point is, what did he do? He stayed faithful. He didn't go to the sheep and beat them up. Stupid sheep, my stupid father, and they're having dumb sheep, bang. He didn't do that. He's being a good shepherd, taking care of those sheep while they're having a party, and he's not invited, and he's the only one left out. And there are times in life where you, I, I have... There's times in life you're not picked for the team. There's times in life you're, 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 you are railroaded. You are sidelined. It's not fair. Get over it. Because the wrong response to that can destroy your future. When you are faced with things that aren't feeling good and even intentional hurt, in a lesser covenant, he still said, okay, dad. And he went off and he did his job. You don't think that's a test? It's a test? You don't think God was looking at that test? You don't think God was wondering, how's he going to respond? Is he going to get in the flesh? Is he going to get angry? Is he going to cuss? Is he going to yell? Is he going to make a stink and make a scene? Is he going to harden his heart? 
Is he going to push the sheep off the cliff while he's supposedly doing his job because of an anger temper tantrum because he got railroaded? God was watching the response to rejection. Are you listening to me? Because so many people today I have seen over the years of pastoring struggle with rejection. They were rejected as a child, or they were rejected here, or they were rejected in their marriage, or whatever it is, and there's a root of bitterness and a root of rejection, and they respond to Jesus from that place of rejection. They respond to congregation members, they respond to their pastor, they respond to the Word, because there's walls as high as Jericho around them, because they're not going to let anybody else hurt me anymore. And I'm telling you that even when things have hurt you, you've got to lower those walls, and you've got to trust God. I'm not saying be foolish and let the person that stabbed you in the back and go there and invite them to stab you again. I'm not talking about nonsense. I'm talking about when things don't go right, you, you still are responsible to keep your heart pure and soft and lower those walls and trust God that he will defend you. And this is not maybe the typical thing I preach on, but it, it's what the Lord said to me this morning. He said, I want you to talk to them about how David was treated. And how David lived and how he was a faithful man. Yes. No matter what came, he showed up. Uh-huh. God needs to be able to count on people today. Amen. Your boss needs to be able to count on you. I need to be able to count on you. God needs to be able to count on you. That you're not going to crack the book once a week on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. when we say open your Bible. That you're going to crack the book throughout the week because you love the book. Amen. That you're going to open your voice in prayer and worship because you love him. Amen. Not because it's a religious duty. He's got to be able to count on us. And so he goes out there. He calls to the sacrifice. And verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked at Eliab. And he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, he looks real good. Outside stuff doesn't always count. Are you with me? Oh, how we've learned this, Reverend Greg. The people that say they love you the most doesn't always matter. The people that praise you the most doesn't always count. The people that look the most faithful doesn't always mean their heart is. Doesn't always mean their heart is. In other words, outward appearance isn't just how tall you are and what kind of clothes you have. It's also how you show how you, the demeanor, how you talk. That's all outward. And you can judge a book by its cover sometimes, but sometimes you can't. And a lot of people may seem like they're going to be your friends, but they're not, they're not going to be there. They may seem loyal, but then something happens and they turn on you. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about because everybody's faced this. And so you don't just go with how good somebody talks or looks. Uh, that is a very superficial way of judging. And that's why it takes time to really develop friendships because you've got to develop what you've got to see what's inside that person. You know, you can't see what's inside that person over one chicken dinner. You see what's inside that person once you've done something wrong to them and hopefully unintentionally and then you watch how they respond to you. When they've done something wrong and you forgive them, you watch how they respond to your forgiveness. It takes time to see somebody's heart. Unless you have a gift of the word of knowledge, which he doesn't usually do, but you could see into somebody's heart instantaneously, but that's only supernaturally if God needs you to see it that way. But when it comes to friendships, it takes time to develop friendships because you are looking and you're not always the one that's so great. It's contrary to popular opinion. You're not always the one that's so wonderful because you mess up too. And you wake up one day and you're the cuddly bear, kitty soft paws. 
and, but you wake up the next day and you're Mr. Porcupine. And now your friend has to put up with your mood swings. And how they respond to you and how you respond to them over extended times shows you what their heart is. They may say a bunch of stuff, but what do they act like? Is it true inside? Are they with you in it for the long haul? And it's true when people say that you can count your friends on, on, on a couple hands because in most cases that's true. In terms of the real, you have lots of friendships. You have lots of acquaintances. That's lots of friends in a ship. Fellows in a ship, fellowship. I can have fellowship with lots of people, but that doesn't mean I have covenant with everybody. But that does, it means I, I do love people because I've got fellowship with them. We're all fellows in a ship. A ship's big. But, but really, a real friend is in the life raft with you. The real friend is when, you know, the sharks are circling and they don't push you out. I mean, that's, that's, that's the real friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. When you see the bear and they don't try to outrun you. I mean, that's the, I mean, Greg tried to outrun me already, but that's the real friend stays with you and fights with you in the battle. It takes time. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said, verse 7 unto Samuel, look not at his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Praise God. Hallelujah. Pastor Morgan said to me a little while ago publicly before she introduced me to preach at her church uh, earlier this year, and she said, who would have thought that this man and this woman that came all those years ago, she's just being honest, she goes, I didn't think they'd last the month. I didn't think they'd make it because she's seen so many come and she's seen so many quit. And what's different with us? I mean, we're, we're from another country. That's a strike against us. If you're an American, our money's not as good. That's a strike against us. You know, we're overweight. That's a strike against us. I mean, I have great hair, but, but you know, but that's not enough. That's not enough. You know, and she said, I didn't think you'd last. I'm sure you wouldn't last. But, and I, looked, and I said to her, I said, when I took that, I said, because you couldn't see my heart. If you could see my heart, you would have known I'll be with you till the rapture. But you see, you can't see in somebody's heart except over time. And so Pastor Nancy, doctor was very open. He would just grab you and hug you and love you. He really opened his heart. And then he got hurt very easily. Pastor Nancy wasn't like that. Pastor Nancy she holds you. I said, Pastor, God told me you're going to be my pastor. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she did, you remember? She was sweet. She says, that's nice. Mm-hmm. And then she just looks at you. Right. Well, could I ask you, would you be my pastor? And I'm saying it like, okay. <laughs> but just, I mean, just, and, and she didn't come near us. She didn't talk to us. Doctor did, but, but she just, she's watching. She's seen too many people hurt her and too many people hurt him with a bunch of fancy dancy words that mean nothing because the first hint of offense, first hint of problem, you're, you're gone. You run like a starving man on a Christmas ham. You're out of here. My God. I got other euphemisms, but I won't say them. I've got other ones, but I won't say them. You're gone like a starving man in a Christmas ham. You're out of here. But after a few years, and it took a few years of watching, 
Then she started to crack that door and then she started to talk and then she started to, she was always kind, but she, but she was reserved in her affection uh, until she could see, what was she looking for? Not my words, not if I showed up at service because I was showing up all the time and so were everybody else. She wasn't just looking at my actions. She wasn't just looking at my words. She wasn't just looking at my dress or she was, she was looking for my heart which is expressed through those things, but it takes time because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? In other words, you can be real nice one day and then want to hate you the next day. So you have to, your heart has to prove out over time. And after a while, she saw our heart and then she started opening up her heart because she's not going to open up her heart to somebody that she has improved the heart. Do you understand? That's why I don't ever hire people on staff as soon as I meet them. I, I have to see the heart. I have to watch the heart because I can't let too many people too close that I need to know the heart because the heart is the key. God didn't look at him for any other reason but a man after his own heart. Praise God. Hallelujah. I've met people, even family members, that from the time they were small, you could see their heart and it wasn't good. No, I'm serious. Proud. Tight, cheap. And just to cut you, they can. And then you see them 25 years later at a reunion. And now they're totally different because they're not five anymore. Now they're 30 and they got the same heart. They cut you and they can. They look at you from behind. There's something. Look at the, they're not looking at you. They're looking at you. You know what I mean? And then there's others that at five and six and seven, they're just so pure. And then 35, 40 years later, you see them and they're so Pure. How do you deter? How do you explain that? It's somebody's heart. But listen, you might have been have a bit of a rotten heart when you got born, but you can change your heart. Don't ever say, "Well, that was my lot in life, so I just have to be this way because that's just the way I am." Bless God, that's the way I am. No, no, no. You can change your own heart. By the word of God, by loving Jesus, by not the power gifts, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. Now, somebody said to me recently, kindness means you're only kind to your kind. No, no. You're not just kind to your kind. That's justifying clicks, justifying skin color, justifying socioeconomic status. No, kindness is kind to everybody. And one that I meditate on every day. That's why you're calling me, all of you, a much better pastor. Is because I struggle with gentleness. I didn't even know that was a fruit until recently. But there's a fruit called gentleness, Taylor. Being gentle to other people. Now, Jesus took a whip, but he was still gentle. And yet Jesus also, uh, you know, he was faced with so many situations, but, but he, he expressed aggression at times and, and black and white righteousness, hating lawlessness, but there was a gentle quality about Jesus. Not gentle like fake, not gentle like a lack of strength. But gentleness is strength inside you. Gentleness is a tremendous fruit of the Spirit because no matter how they treat you, you don't, it's like they can't have power over you. 
you are so secure in who you are that no matter what they do, you can express something to them that they don't deserve. My wife has been telling me for how many years have been married? For 22 years. Um, be more gentle. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just, just, let's just, just get the chicken ready. Jennifer, leave me about the gentleness. I'll do that. You do the chicken. Until the Holy Ghost started saying to me, I've been telling you through her for a long time. You're not listening. But I want you to, I want you to see the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit determine your spirituality. If you really want to be considered spiritual, how you treat people is the massive determining feature. How, remember, all that love, joy, peace, peace, that's all about how you treat other people. It's not how you treat each other. So you, if you want to be considered spiritual and great, and if you want to be faithful to God, because that's what he has in his heart, is the fruits, and you want to be promoted and you want God, why don't you just take a long, hard look at how you're treating people? Are you listening to me? Because some of you, you're looking at me right now, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, I hope they're listening. Because some of you really need to hear this. Because I hear stories about people in the church and how they're treating each other at times. And I think, my God, where is the fruits of the Spirit in this church? We've got to fight against the flesh and walk in the Spirit, which includes yielding to the fruits. They're in you. You just have to yield to them. You have to put on, so to speak. I mean, they're in you, but you have to activate. You have to walk in. You have to choose to yield to patience. And self-control. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Self-control in your appetite. Self-control in your television watching. Self-control in your shopping. Yes. Help us, Jesus. Because <laughs> the Christmas season is coming. Amen. And so, where are we? First Samuel chapter 16. And uh, I look at the heart, God says. Verse 7. And Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And they said, neither has the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons, so there were four remaining, to pass before Samuel. Remember, he has eight, but he makes seven come. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he says, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Remember, he wasn't invited to the party. God watched his heart, how he handled rejection. Are you listening to me? Because it might not be as exciting as you're used to, but how you handle rejection is going to massively determine your future. Don't let rejection cripple you. Don't let it derail you. Jesus was rejected after he preached a sermon about the cross by everybody. And he said to the 12, you going to leave too? Well, you're the only ones with the words of life. Where are we going to go? But he understood. And then Judas, with a kiss, an act of intimacy, betrayed the Son of God. Jesus knew what it felt like to be rejected, and he never let it get in him. Amen. Some of us have been rejected by family. Some of us have been rejected by bosses, by friends, by loved ones, by coworkers, by neighbors, by a host of people. Don't let it get in you. Amen. David was rejected by his own father, mother, and brothers. Yes. Insulted. And yet he obviously didn't let it get in him. How do you know, Pastor? Because God said, I am going to choose a man after my own heart. 
God knew he was about to get rejected. If he was going to handle the rejection wrong, he wouldn't have been a man after God's own heart. So we know he handled the rejection right because God said, he's a man with my heart. God, when he was rejected on the cross, what did he say? Forgive him, for they know not what they do. When they rejected him, Jesus turned the other cheek and he loved them. So God's heart is to respond to rejection with love. God said he has responded in love because he's a man after my own heart and he's about to get rejected, but I know how he's going to handle it. Are you listening to me? Because this is something that I think every one of us face. If you've lived a rosy life where everybody that you've ever known has loved and adored you, great, good for you, have a wonderful life. But the rest of us losers aren't like you. We have been And how we respond to it matters to God. So don't let it get in you. Keep God. <laughs> now the Bible tells us that, uh, not this, but in other places, that when he was in, it says in Psalms, that when he was with the sheep, he would sing to God and he would pluck the harp and he would write some of the Psalms that we see he wrote before he even became king. And he would worship God while he was doing his job. Now that would tell me, are you listening? That when he was rejected and he went out there instead of boot kicking the sheep like a punt goal and getting angry that wouldn't be after God's own heart that he he would have swallowed that he would have he would have accepted okay I've been mistreated but how would he put his energy into brooding how he's gonna get his revenge into imagining evil and ill will coming upon his father and his brothers no that wouldn't be a man with God's heart what did he do we know that he was always worshiping God when he was with those sheep. So he probably went into that a little bit dejected because he has feelings and emotions like all of us. But he would have sat down, either grazing, he would have picked up that harp and he would have started to worship him. Father, I love you. Oh, Jehovah, I praise you. I worship you. And he would be singing psalms. That's the way you handle rejection. You go to the presence of God and you're casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you, First Peter. I believe with all my heart the way he handled these things was because he had a secret weapon, Greg. The secret weapon was the presence. He had a heart that loved God more than anything and he escaped into that presence. And he would play that music and he would worship and praise and pray and fellowship and love and be intimate and all the pain... And all the hurt would just evaporate away. And later in life, when they were trying to kill him, his own son Absalom was trying to murder him. And he would go into the presence of God. The Bible says he would go before the altar and he would worship God. And all that pain and rejection and all that hurt and those walls would just disintegrate. And when he had sinned with Bathsheba and he's messed it up and he's killed a man, what did he do? Did he run to the gambling hall? He ran to God and he knelt before him and he said in Psalm 51, Great in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not, are you listening? Cast me not away from your presence. In other words, I'm in your presence. Don't, don't, let, don't force me to leave your presence. I've missed it. I've made a mistake, but I need your presence. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was drawing on the strength of the Spirit. Renew, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That means he was used to being in joy. But he's lost it because he sinned. 
But he went to the presence and renew a right spirit within me. That's what you do when you fail. You run to God's presence and you humble yourself when you repent. That's what you do when somebody rejects you. That's what you do when you're dealing, thinking about your ex or you're thinking about this ex-boss or for me, an ex-congregation member or some. That's what Dr. Dufresne would do when they would hurt him. You run to God. You get on that harp and you start to say, Jesus, you're more important than anybody. And his presence comes and it melts your heart and all that anger and that pain starts to disintegrate. And then what does he do? He says, now forgive by faith. And you start to say, I bless that person. I love that person. Father, I bless them with my words. If you allow me, I'll bless them with my actions. Show me what to do. Lord, I, I, I call them blessed. I call them well. And you start to walk in that love walk in the presence of God and the rejection just falls away. You go in brooding. You go planning your revenge. You're not a man after God's own heart. You're not therefore faithful and you can't therefore be blessed. Are you listening to me? What is it? 12.05. We'll do five more and then we'll close. <laughs> and Samuel said, the boys, go fetch the youngest. We're not stop. We're not sit down until he comes. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready. Redhead. Yeah. He had a redhead. Yeah. And with all of a beautiful countenance. That means if you've got redhead, God calls you beautiful. Amen. What about the browns and the blondes and the blacks? I'm not sure. But the reds, they get the beauty. And goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise. Now remember, what is he saying? He's explaining his outward countenance. But what did God just say? I'm not looking at the outward countenance. But what's Samuel doing? (laughs) The same thing he was doing before. Because it's human nature to look at the outward appearance. God just told the prophet, don't look at the outward appearance. But Eliab, he looks so strong. Don't look at the outward appearance. And what does he do? Five minutes later, David comes. Oh, he's so handsome. What's he doing? Looking at the outward appearance. It's human nature to look at outward. That's where racism comes from. It's human nature to judge people by the book by its cover. Don't do that. God looks at the heart. Amen. And so he said, arise and anoint him for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, right in front of all of the ones that had rejected him. Isn't God got a sense of humor? That he finds a way to honor you amongst those that maybe didn't want to honor you. They didn't take him aside at the private ceremony in front of all the ones that were rejecting him. God lifted him up because the heart was right. Keep your heart right. God's got ways of promoting you. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Praise God. Now, keep going with me. Almost done. And the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Because the anointing had left him, because he had sinned. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his head, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. So anointed music changes atmospheres. Do you see that? Notice he said play well. If he's getting all the wrong keys and and his voice is like, "Ah," like basically at the funeral, what you did at the funeral. Remember, I mean, that, that that wasn't well, brother. That my soul wasn't well that day. 
but every other time before and after you've done a perfect job. So let's just give them credit where credit is due. But you don't want somebody that don't know how to sing because that doesn't bring the anointing. But when somebody plays well and they're skillful naturally and they've got a right heart like Taylor does, that anointing comes and it changes atmospheres. And where there's evil spirits, they leave. Just an atmosphere, even without dominion, can make it leave. Just the presence of God can make things leave. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. And answered one of the servants and said, behold, one of the servants said, behold, I've seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war. Why would he call a 17-year-old a man of war? Have you ever thought about that? He's never served in an army. You know why? Because the word got out that he took the lion by the beard and broke its neck. And that he went and had a tangle with the, lion, with the bear. And he took him and he, by the scruff of his neck and broke it. That is supernatural. That is amazing. That is warrior type stuff. That word got out. This boy, this guy's strong. This guy's bold. He's fearless. That's why he said he's a man of war. Because the, see the, so what happens? I, I, I'm giving you principles. What David did in his private life started getting out into public. David was a worshiper, and people found out he was a worshiper. David was a bold, fearless man that would protect the sheep, and people found out that he was a bold, fearless man. What you do private is going to come out, sin-wise and righteousness-wise. It'll come out. So watch what you do in private, because people are going to find out whether you want them to or not. A man of war and prudent in matters, that means he had wisdom. And a comely person, that means he wasn't ugly. And the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messages unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a, a kid, that's a goat, and sent them by David his son. He sent the king an offering. And David came, in other words, I'm not going to go see the king without an offering. Even back then they recognized who the anointing is on. Where, where the, that's why we do a Christmas offering because this is scriptural when the anointing is on an office, there should, honor should be shown. And David, Jesse took the, okay, and sent his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him. Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. If I go people from last night, you know, from Friday night, I was preaching to you about what a, a partner is an armor bearer. And, and, but but this, this is somebody that, that takes up, takes up protection. This is somebody that guards this is somebody that where the king is weak, he's protecting. Where the king's got his shield this way and his sword this way and his right hand is exposed and his back is exposed, the armor bearer stands on the right side to protect the right and the back. He's not, he's not exposing the king's weakness, he's protecting the king's weakness. He has honor, he loves him with all his heart, he's going to give his life for him if needed. An armor bearer was the most coveted position and only men of great honor ever achieved it. It's a very honored position because you get to be right by the king and, and the loyalty of your heart is beyond question. You'll die for him. Now then look at this. Saul loved David greatly, but David loved Saul greatly because if he didn't love him, he couldn't become an armor bearer. Armor bearer equals love. And Saul said to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed 
and well, and the evil spirit departed. Now, what does it say in the book of Hebrews that, uh, or, or Hebrews, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord? When there's the presence, there's refreshing. So we know from Scripture when he played that harp, the presence of God showed up. Because refreshing came. That means when he was on the sheepfold there and he was frustrated and he played the presence. That's why I'm saying I'm not just making it up. He ran to God and he ran to the presence because we know when he played for Saul, the presence came and refreshed him. When he played alone, the presence came and refreshed David. Are you with me? And so there basically is... there's, there's this attitude that we see here in David. Look at verse 21 again. And David came to Saul and stood before him and loved him greatly. Uh, you know, there, David knows. I'll end with this and we'll pick it up next Sunday. David knows I've been anointed king. That's right. That's right. David knows he's lost the anointing. Yet he's prudent in matters. He knew when to keep his mouth shut. He knew when not to speak. Sometimes you're going to know when not to say things. And uh, what would it have felt like, I'm, this is, this is a powerful principle, I'm with somebody, God has engineered it. Now, before this, I missed one point before this, is after this anointing, and everybody's happy with him, where did he go? He went back to his menial job. His dad didn't promote him. He didn't start running after Samuel to learn the ways of the prophets so that he could be a good king one day. It's like he guarded his heart with rejection. He ran to the presence of God and kept his heart pure. And then he gets his promotion with no follow through. All of this wonderful stuff. Okay, David, now go back and do your job. Leave us, just go. So sometimes God starts a promotion, but it looks like everything's going back to the way it used to be. Are you with me? These are principles. Sometimes God is starting to promote you, but you have to go back and do the old thing you used to do before that you didn't really enjoy, and you thought it was going to happen so quick, but it didn't happen as quick as you'd like, and God's looking at your heart. He wants to see. Are you going to be patient? You handled rejection. Tick. You ran to me in my presence. You didn't hold a grudge. But now I'm promoting you. Now it looks like everything is going backwards. I'm promoting you, but go back and work with the sheep. Can you handle that? Can you be patient for the promotion to manifest? Because so many ministers fail this. God starts to call him. God starts to say, come, I've got a ministry for you. But then they have to go and work a job. Well, but what do you mean? I thought I'm anointed. I thought I'm the man of God. I thought I'm going to preach. Uh, no, you're going to go work at McDonald's. Yeah. What? You see, David had to go work at McDonald's after he'd been anointed king. He had to go back to the stinky sheep after he had been promoted. And he had to pass the test of the heart, not just with rejection, which was the first test, but he had to pass the test of patience. I got God anointed me and, and I went to Bible school and I'm, I, 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 they said I was the best preacher in the Bible school. No, they did. They honored me by having my pastor from Evangel Temple come. They picked him because I was the number one student in the Bible school. They said, you've got the best potential. You're going to be the greatest success. The, the dean loved me the most, gave me favor after favor after favor after favor. And I think this is great. And, uh, but then the Lord said, I, there's no money. 
well, if you think I'm that great, then pay me. Well, you're not that great. I mean, we like you, but you're not that great. <laughs> Dad, uh, you're a millionaire. I, I, I'm trying to do the plan of God. Plan of God, shmam of God. That's what he said. Plan of God, shmam of God. I don't want you preaching. You're a loser. You're always going to be a loser. You're always going to be broke. All preachers are broke or they're liars stealing money. So what are you going to be, a liar that's rich or a loser that's broke? That's your choice. I'm not helping you. Help you a little bit. I'm not, I'm not helping you. So after being the number one Bible school student with, with all the honor and everybody patting me on the back, I went to Wendy's because I had to pay my rent. And I said, now nah, I'd like, a, what would you like to do? Well, I want to be the, what's your best position here? The burger flipper. Well, that's what I want. I'm a preacher, don't you know? I need the best position. Oh, no, that position's taken. What's your next best position? The fries. Well, put me on the fries. That position's taken. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. I asked them down the list, and everything they said, that position's taken. I said, well, what's left? The toilets. It was a hard day for me, Hassel Happy. I'll never forget. I signed that. I signed that piece of paper to say I was an employee. And I took my mop. I changed out of my suit that I'd just come from Bible school with. And I put on their wretched uniform. And I went in and somebody had done an explosive event. I'm not lying to you. It was on the walls of the stalls. And I took, no, I'm serious. And I took that, that thing. No, I did. I'm not lying to you. I put a nose plug on, because I mean, I was going to vomit. I put a nose plug on, and I started wiping that stall, and I started to cry. And I said, I deserve better than this, Jesus. They say that I'm this great preacher. I've been all over the world already, and I'm young. I deserve better than this. And he spoke to me, and he said, and I'm watching how you're handling this. Then I realized Jesus is in the stall with me. No, and he's watching me. And my whole attitude changed. I said, Lord, you said to work unto God, not unto men. My boss isn't that hideous looking woman in there that's about 900 pounds. She's not my boss. That takes glee in sending me into the bathroom. Some people, they're just cruel. They love to see you hurt. She's not my boss. I said, Jesus, you said you're watching how I handle this? That means you're my boss. I have a scripture that says, work unto God, not unto men. Jesus, you're my boss and you're in the stall with me, which means I'm going to do this job as best as I can because you, Jesus, are going to inspect it. And it took all the pain out. It took all the anger out. took all the rejection out. took all the, uh, I feel like a loser out. They're not, they're not seeing me for my gifting. And I remember, Jenny, I scrubbed that place like Jesus was watching. And he was watching because he said, yes, and I'm seeing how you're going to handle this. You see, David is in the sheep. I'm anointed. Why do I have to pick up? What's going on here? I'm watching how you're handling it. Can you be patient, son? He asked me, can you be patient? And then God promoted me. Money came in. I got promoted out of the bathroom into into the drink containers. I wasn't qualified to do fries but I could fill drinks and I could do uh, Frosties. That's why I've loved Frosties to this day. <laughs> drink Frosty, drink Frosty. Uh, and I did that. And then I go to church and they, they say I'm a great preacher. And I thought Peter Youngren had me come on television with him. 
And he's had me sit in front of national television and he put me, and he says, this is one of the best preachers I've ever heard. The, the, this guy's going to go far. I'm just beaming you. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then I get down and he says, now I want you to do something for me. I said, yes, you want me to travel? Yes. Yes. I'll pack my bag. What do you want me to do? He said, uh, uh, the, 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 the chairs in the sanctuary need cleaning. I said, excuse me? We were just on television. Yes, and the chairs in the sanctuary need cleaning. And it wasn't like these nice chairs. It was the cheap chairs. They bought cheap chairs that, you know, uh, that you sit in it and the, 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 the stuff balls. You know, like, you know what I mean? It's not nice chairs. They balled. And I had to scrape the balls off the chairs. And then I had the Astro Boy pack. And they called me Astro Boy. Because I had the pack on me like I was going to take off through the roof. And there's a little vacuum and it would click. And it would click around my stomach. And I remember I would put it click, click. But I had to shed the balls. And then I had to go. And there was 1,500 chairs. We have 400. There was 1,500 chairs. And I started after Bible school at 12 and I was done at like 5 p.m. But I've just been on television. Now I'm scraping the chairs and sucking up the nonsense. And I was so frustrated. I said, Lord, this is not right. They're mistreating me. Peter Youngren is playing a sick game. He's got me like lifting me up and then he's pushing me down. I felt that way. And I heard the Lord say the same sentence when I was in the stall crying. And he said, and I'm watching how you're handling it. And then I realized, oh, you're not just at Wendy's. You're at church. You're in the sanctuary with me. You're watching how I'm handling this. And I mean, it wasn't for Peter anymore. It was for Jesus. When you do something for Jesus, you act different. I made sure every ball was taken. Took hours and hours. And I did it. And I was joyful doing it. I said, Jesus, I'm doing this. You see, he's watching. I've been anointed and promoted. And yet I'm back with those rotten sheep. And I have to have the attitude, they're not rotten, it's my joy. How I handle it matters to God. That's why he started promoting me, because I passed the test of rejection, and I passed the test of patience. The menial jobs, and being patient through them. Are you with me? Told you it wouldn't be always that, but, 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 but the people have to learn these things. Ministers have to learn it especially, but congregation members have to learn it because uh, it, life doesn't always feel that good. People aren't always going to treat you great, and you're not always going to have everything exactly the timing you'd like it. But if you can handle rejection right, and if you can handle the menial things with patience, you will position yourself for promotion. Because the faithful man, he abounds. He abounds. He abounds. Hallelujah. Praise God. I was, I'll end, I really will end with this, but I was preaching once and Pastor Michael Laketa came up to me and he said, Pastor Craig, I don't mean to insult you. Oh God, what is, when you start a statement like that, what is coming? He said, but you have the ugliest shoes I've ever seen in my life. And I said, well, well thank you for that. Uh, you know, I, I'm getting around to buying another pair. I'm just believing God for the money. He says, you don't have the money? I said, no, I don't have the money. He says, well, I'm going to take you to buy a pair of shoes. So he went and bought me a pair of shoes. And it bothered me that another preacher had to take me to Harry Rosen to buy a pair of shoes. And I decided from that moment, I said, this is it. I said, Father, I'm a faithful man. I have a right to abound in blessings. I have passed tests. And I've got a lot more to pass. But I'm, I am, I'm on the upward swing. I'm passing.
And I said, it's not right that another preacher had a pity for me, even though he sowed seed, praise God. I said, it's not right. If I really am a faithful man, then you have to bless me. Because here I am, I, 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 I feel like I'm broke. Can't even afford shoes properly. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, you are faithful. And I want you to abound in blessings. Would you like to know why you're not? I said, yes, I would, if you don't mind me asking, because I have rights. And I heard him say, because you don't ask me. So I'm faithful and I'm able to abound, but I'm not because I won't ask. Like, what? And he said, when have you ever asked me for a pair of shoes? Well, well, I'm asking you for souls. I'm asking for the anointing. You know, you get religious with God and then you go, I'm asking you for the glory. You know, he, he sees all through that nonsense. And he said, when have you ever asked me for a pair of shoes? I said, never. He said, you're qualified to abound, but you don't abound because you don't ask. So I started asking, but it didn't take me long to ask. I said, I want a pair of shoes. And he said, what kind? I don't know. Well, I find out. So I said to Jerry, Jerry, what are the most comfortable shoes that you've ever worn? He goes, Louis Vuitton, they're easy. That's easy answer. He said, I wear them all the time. He said, I'd wear them in my underwear if I could. He said, they're the most, easy, the most comfortable shoes in the world. And I said, and they're nice. And, and I said, how much are they? Oh my God, I'm not paying that much for a pair of shoes. Are you crazy? And the Lord said, I told you, you have a right to abound. Would you like me to pay for them or do you want to pay for them? I said, I don't even think you should pay for them, Lord. This should, money should go to the poor. <laughs> Because Judas was always talking about the poor, but something's not right in his heart. And the Lord said to me, he, he really took me on a journey. He said, you're faithful, so you have a right to abound. You're not abounding because you don't ask. One of the reasons you don't ask is you don't think right about prosperity. You don't think you're worth it. Now he said, I'm going to pay for it. So why? It's like me taking Nigel out and saying, I'm going to buy you a, a tie. Pick whichever tie. And he's feeling bad, but I'm already, I've already got the money. I've got more money than he could ever spend for a tie. No matter what tie he buys, I can afford it. Just get the best one you want because you're not paying for it, I'm paying for it. You see, he doesn't need to worry because I've got the money. When God said, pick a pair of shoes, I'm paying for it for you. Just pick what you want. I said, okay, well, I would like the same thing Jerry has because he said they're comfortable. And I mean, it was hard, but I believe God. And God sent somebody with a check. <laughs> and they said, go and buy your pair of shoes. And I went and bought my first pair of shoes. And he was right. They are the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn. I do wear them in my robe sometimes. They're just comfortable. And then the Lord said, now I want you to. So I just, I'm saying this not because I'm trying to be funny. I'm saying this because we're talking about faithfulness. Faithfulness calls you to abound. But if you don't, if you don't learn to think right and realize that you're worth abounding and realize that and ask God and release your faith for it, you'll stay small. And I was just looking on their website to buy a present for, for somebody, for Pastor Nancy. And, and, I, and, I, and, and they have all the new stuff. And I saw these pair of shoes. I saw these nice pair of shoes. And these pair of shoes cost more than all the other pair of shoes. And they're made of velvet. And, I said, I, and the first thing I said when I saw it, I said, what stupid person would buy that pair of shoes? Who would pay that much money? I did. I said, who would pay that much money? And I scrolled down and I heard the Holy Ghost say, stop, go back up. I heard him. He said, do you like them? I said, I love them, but that's ridiculous. Nobody should pay that much for a pair of shoes. And he said, are you faithful? I said, yeah. He said, do you, do you have a right to abound? I said, yeah. He says, are you going to ask me? I said, are you telling me you want me to ask you to pay for it? He said, I paid for your other pair of shoes, didn't I? 
So I said, okay, Lord, I'm asking you for these velvet shoes. I I was in that faith, Vita, because it doesn't seem necessary to me. But God was trying to get me to think different. And somebody walked up with a check. Here's money for your new pair of shoes. (laughs) And they quoted a scripture, because blessed are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace. And God told me that your feet need to be covered with honor because you're a preacher. Here's some money for your shoes. (laughs) You never saw somebody go on that website faster. I punched that baby in. I bought the velvet shoes and I, and I, and they're very comfortable and I enjoy it. Every time I put them on, every time I put them on, it's a reminder to me. uh, I'm not, I'm worth, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud, but I'm worth because God told me I'm worth it. And because I'm faithful, I have a right to bond and God will pay for it for me. And he'll pay for it for you. He'll get, he may, somebody may come up with a check or your boss may just come and say, I don't know why, but I just want to give you $5 more an hour. And then you work a few hours and now you can buy that purse that you want or go on that vacation that you want. Or they may give you a promotion. Sandy, 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 Sandy. You'll hear a testimony of hers, my God. But she said, God, I have a right to prosper. And she asked God for an amount. And you know what God said to her? I've never even done this. But God said to her, tithe on the, on the, on the thing that you're believing me for, on the salary you're believing me for. She started tithing on money that didn't even, she didn't even have. The boss came up to her and gave her multiple thousands of dollars worth of raises. And then just last week, uh, she's been tithing on another amount that she, it's like tithing on a money, but you don't get that money. So you're tithing on something in credit. But God told her to do that, not me. And she's been doing that on another, and they just gave her another massive promotion last week. And just gave, a new company bought them out, and they said, we're giving new offers to everybody. And they gave her a big raise. You know why? Because she's faithful. She has a right to abound, and she asked. And she didn't think she was not worthy of it. She realized, I'm a daughter. I'm worthy. I'm going to think right about prosperity. I'm not proud. I don't think I'm better than somebody else, but I have a right for my personality preference. That's what I want, Lord. That's what I'm going to have. I ask you, I release my faith, and angels are working. Angels are working. Angels are working. And before you know it, the increase comes. But it all, we get excited about the increase and about the shoes. But it all starts with how do you handle when you're rejected? How do you handle when you're promoted but it doesn't look like it's manifesting? Your heart, how you handle that, how you react to those things, it matters to your future blessing. So guard your heart and be faithful to God. Pass, pass the rejection test. Pass the menial work patience test. And there's some more that are coming but we'll talk about them next week. Hallelujah. Don't judge me or send me ungodly letters about my shoes. Because if you do, I'll just go buy another pair just to spite you. You know why? Because I'm not paying for it. God's paying for it. And I really mean that. I I don't even use my salary to do that. I say, Lord, you want to bless me? You want to increase me? You pay for it separately. Separately outside the church. You just pay for it separately because I don't want people to stumble over my prosperity thinking I'm taking church money for it. And every time he does it, every time he does it, because I'm worthy because I'm faithful. My brother and sister, cleaning that stall was hard work. But when I realized Jesus was watching, it made all the difference. Doing the Astro Boy pack was hard work. But when I realized Jesus was watching, it made all the... Dr. Dufresne said when he cleaned that first stall the day he got saved, he said it was hard work, but he knew Jesus was watching. Listen, when you're ministering and for the children, when you're in the sound booth, when you're on the worship team, whatever you're doing, you're doing... Jesus is watching. When you're working at your job tomorrow morning and nobody's around and you're tempted to just slack off, Jesus is watching. 
do your job for your boss the best you can because while he doesn't see, Jesus is watching how you're handling that. Remember, I'm watching how you're handling this. I'm watching your attitude toward this season. And if you do that, you'll be blessed. God will promote you because a faithful man has to abound. Hallelujah. Father, I went over long over time, but I bless them and I thank you for them. And I thank you that you're teaching us and you're helping us. And Lord, I don't share these testimonies in any way to try to build myself up. I'm trying to teach them that there is real. The gospel works. And our heart is the principal thing. Your word says, guard your heart above all. Guard your heart for out of it flows the issues of life. Father, we're guarding our hearts in Jesus name. Proverbs chapter four. And let us respond to these tests the way David did. And let us ask and expect increase and you'll pay for it. In Jesus' mighty name.